I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is the video teaching series entitled The Biblical Principles Governing the Eyes. And this is Lesson 9. And uh, this is a very uh, powerful lesson in its principle. And I believe that it will bless you. So uh, let me give you some kind of introduction before we get into the details of it. Uh, for men and some women, uh, one very common use of our eyes is looking at other people, specifically people of the opposite sex. We often do this so subconsciously that we're not even aware we're doing it. Just noticing another person is in no way wrong in as much as we all like to be acknowledged by others. So when the scripture says, Jesus said, that if I look on a woman to lust after her in my heart, the word look there does not mean she passes by the field of my vision and I notice nice hair or that's a nice dress or uh, she's attractive or whatever. Noticing someone in my field of vision is not bad or wrong. Uh, otherwise, we all should wear exactly the same clothes and uh, never dress any differently. Uh, but even in the scripture, even in the scripture, uh, the Lord acknowledged and blessed those who were given certain garments. Uh, Joseph was given a coat of many colors to by his father to uh, specify the father's affection for him. And then uh, Tamar, when she was childless and her father-in-law was failing to keep his word, put on, the Bible says, she put on the garments of a harlot. So there are clothes that identify a person as a harlot. And there are, uh, uh, there, is a, there are clothes that identify a person as being special uh, to at least the person that gave that to them or bought that for them or whatever. Uh, and then, of course, the scripture talks about uh, uh, wolves being among the, the sheep in sheep's clothing. So obviously, uh, all of that indicates that it's not wrong in and of itself to notice someone of either sex. You notice them, the way they're dressed, you know, uh, nice hair, uh, nice shoes, whatever. That's not lusting after them. It's not. However, the problem comes from looking at another person with fantasy or lusting attached to that looking. In other words, uh, subconsciously or subconsciously, you undress them with their eye, your eyes. You, uh, you uh, fantasize about what it would be like to touch certain parts of their body, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, without getting any more explicit than that. So you, 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 whether you're even consciously aware you're doing it or not, that's, that's uh, the problem uh, with looking at other people when it crosses the line. Uh, for many, this is the primary and most frequent sin that their eyes are involved in, regardless of how that looking takes place, whether they're looking at a person live, photographs, videos, internet, whatever it may be, it doesn't all, really almost doesn't matter whether you're looking after that person to lust 
whether they're alive or not. I, I don't mean alive, even though I guess there are people who are so warped they lust after dead people or the pictures of someone who's no longer alive. But uh, the the purpose here is to define this. Now, Job made one of the most powerful statements under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost that's ever been made regarding this situation. He said, Job 31 and 1, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I look think upon a maid? Notice he said, I made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? So he lets us write, know right there what he's talking about. He didn't say, why then should I look upon a maid? He's talking about when his eyes see a maid and he goes beyond seeing to thinking. That's what lusting is. When you go beyond seeing them and you begin to think about them, dwell on them in your thoughts, have mental images of them, that is very negative. He said, Here's how I'm dealing with this. I dic- uh, the Amplified Version says, I dictated a covenant agreement to my eyes. How then could I look lustfully upon a girl? The Living Bible said, says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust upon a girl. Uh, the t- Today's English Version says, I, I'm going to read several translations here in case you hadn't figured that out. Uh, Today's English version says, I have made a solemn promise never to look with lust at a girl. Contemporary English version says, I promised myself never to stare with desire at a young woman. The English, the easy to read Bible says, I made an agreement with my eyes not to look at a young woman in in a way that would make me want her. That is pretty clear, isn't it, right there? God's word translation says, I have made an agreement with my eyes. Then how can I look with lust at a virgin? New Century Version says, but I made an agreement with my eyes not to look with desire at a girl. This is not talking about our wives. And in a later lesson, we will talk about that and give you scripture that says we're supposed to desire our wives or we are to desire our husbands. Uh, the New English translation says, I made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I entertain thoughts against a virgin? Uh, the Message Bible said, I made a solemn pact with myself never to undress a girl with my eyes. Way to go, Message Bible. He has a tendency to get down and dirty with his, uh, transla- his paraphrase. Of course, the Message Bible is not a translation, it's a paraphrase. Uh, the World English Bible, I made a covenant with my eyes. How then should I look lustfully at a young woman? The complete Jewish Bible says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to let them lust after any girl. And finally, the New International Reader's Version says, I made an agreement with my eyes. I promise to not look at another woman with sexual longing. Now, This is the thing that's perplexing, isn't it? The Lord declared that Job was perfect and upright in all his ways. Job was perfect and upright in all his ways. That's what God said about him. That's not what Job said about himself. How did Job live in a way 
that God, that the Lord would make this statement about him. How? Well, men are just men. Men look. Well, I don't know whether that's true or not. Uh, I think that's an absolute statement, and it doesn't. It's not true about every man, I'm sure. And uh, it depends on whether they mean have they ever looked, are they trying not to look, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but Job was a man. Job was a man. And obviously he was confronting a problem here in his life or a potential problem here in his life. So it's, it's obvious he wasn't unfamiliar with looking with, with the, the act or the experience of looking at a woman and lusting after her. I think he's obviously very un, very familiar with that. Now, whether he's inferior, familiar with that because of his own actions or hearing the conversations of other men, uh, I, I'm not here. I don't know his heart. Not, the Lord didn't tell us, and so I don't know. Uh, if it's in there, I haven't found it, but it, it may be, but I just haven't found it yet. I don't know what his motive was in saying this. I don't know. But the one thing I do know, he recognized a problem. He recognized a problem. And he had a biblical way to deal with it. He made a covenant. He made a covenant with his eyes to not look upon a maid. Job realized how vulnerable his eyes made him. And to avoid being a victim of what his eyes saw, he made a covenant, a commitment, possibly a vow to God and or to himself, to not allow his eyes to linger on a woman to the point that his mind would begin to fantasize about her sexually. So what is this covenant thing? What is this talking about? Strong's Hebrew Dictionary says this, that a covenant is a compact and the, the dictionary.com definition of compact is a formal agreement between two or more parties, states, etc. It's a contract. It's, it's to secure by negotiation, uh, to end hostilities, to have peace. So Job wanted peace. He wanted peace from whatever struggles he had, uh, that were caused by his eyes. He made some kind of agreement with himself by the grace of God that he would not let his eyes linger on a woman until his thoughts turned sexual. He made that kind of agreement. How he did that, what he did. Now the thing about it is he was, this is the old Testament. He didn't have the Holy ghost at the time. At least we have the Holy Ghost. At least we have a way, a means whereby we can uh, be empowered to do what we cannot do ourselves. In the Old Testament, they didn't have that. But somehow, Job understood, uh, obviously God speaking to him, Job understood the need, and he did something about it. And again, if we go back to what's been talked about numerous times in these videos, 
if I understand that what I fellowship with, what my eyes dwell on, is what I fellowship with, it's eventually what I will give myself to. So if I want to give myself to God, I can't dwell on that which God has intended for me not to participate in when it's not my right, when it's not biblically acceptable for me to. Now, do I look at my wife with desire? I don't mean to embarrass anybody here as an old man, but yes. I hope she looks at me with desire because we're married. That's what two married people are supposed to do. But if I take that same desire that is her right only, no one else has the right for me to look at them like that. I don't have a right to look at anybody else like that. When I take what belongs to her, the expectation that her husband is going to look at her with desire and the fulfillment of that expectation. When I take what belongs to her and I give it to any other woman in any other setting or scenario, live or otherwise, I have just defrauded my wife. I've defrauded her. I've cheated her out of what belongs to her. Now, If that bothers me as a child of God, as a Christian, as a man of God, if that bothers me, then by the grace of God, I need to do something about that. Now, in later lessons, we'll give more specific biblical instructions on this, but this is the foundational principle. Okay, oh yeah, walking in the Spirit will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But what is walking in the Spirit? acknowledging what the Word of God says about fornication that we ended the last lesson with, and that the way you get to fornication is with your eyes. So, uh, let's go a little farther here. Uh, Complete Word Study Bible says of the word covenant, uh, it means covenant, treaty, alliance, or agreement. The use of this Hebrew word connotes that Job did not make a casual decision about this. He didn't say, you know, I'm having a problem with lust. I need to stop doing this. He made a decision. He didn't make an analysis. It was not an evaluation. It was not a diagnosis. It was a decision. How many times have all of us been convicted by God on things? And it was an evaluation, an analysis. A determination. And the scripture says that. We are to uh, examine ourselves to see whether or not we be in the faith. No, Paul said, no, you're not. You're reprobate uh, if you're not walking in the faith. Um, we are to examine ourselves. So, But examining myself and determining what's wrong is one thing. Doing something about it is completely different. The Holy Ghost convicts us many, many times of things that we don't ever actually, we may repent for what we've done, but we don't take action about the future. We don't act on it. That's what Job did. The implication in the use of the word covenant was more encompassing than just between Job and his eyes. Somehow, and this verse doesn't specifically say it, Job involved God in the covenant. 
Whatever he did, according to God, it worked. Whatever he did, according to God, it worked. Whatever he did, according to God, it worked. This is so critical today because it seems as though, male or female, we are bombarded with images, bombarded with images all the time. There is no way in the world that anyone who is, has any kind of integrity, as I said in the previous video, can deny that the reason the picture was taken just so. The stance of the body, the way the clothing was put on, or what clothing is not there, every bit of that, the motive was to get you to look. But not just look in awareness Okay, there's a woman, there's a man, but to dwell on that, for the, to dwell on it with the look long enough for the thoughts to turn sexual. <sighs> How hard is it to commit adultery when you're not lusting after other women? How hard is it to commit fornication when as a married or single person, you're not lusting after someone else? If you're not married or single, you shouldn't be lusting after anybody. If you're married, you should only be desiring your wife or your husband. How hard is it to fall into those sins when you're not fellowshipping with lust for them? And the problem is this, okay? We take, by our lust, we take what God designed for good, okay, Physical intimacy between a man and a woman was not designed for just procreation. What? Because if that's all it was designed for, uh, then the man and woman would go in heat like animals do, and they would mate simply because they were in heat and would have nothing to do with the other person whatsoever. Now, I acknowledge that the degree to which... Uh, Sex is thrust in our face today, and and the and the uh, the whole uh, uh, atmosphere of the culture today is that there are people who just involve themselves with recreational sex, which is nothing different than what animals do. I'm sorry, I'm not being a, trying to be offensive, but it's the same thing. Male animal, female animal has these. Uh, urges in heat and they come together and it's over with and there's no commitment and you know that's the way animals do so when you meet somebody in a bar and you go go to bed with them and you don't even ever see them again that's animalistic that's not human that's not the way we were designed because we were designed in the image of God Cats and dogs, horses and cows, and every other mammal or an animal, none of them were, were created in the image of God. But man is man and man is created in the image of God, and woman was taken out of man. And because of that, the intimacy between a man and a woman is um, is divine and in origin meaning God originated it. And even in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, likened it to the relationship between him and his church. 
when he said, I quote, read these verses at the end of the last uh, video, but lesson that uh, uh, he that is joined unto a harlot has committed fornication. And that Greek word and the English word is translated with is exactly the same Greek word, the same English word as the translation. And the couple of verses after that when it says, but he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. So there is an intimacy of joining between Christ and the church that is in principle similar to the joining of man and woman. And so when we participate in that, outside of the boundaries that God has placed on it, then we've just cheapened it and made it so far less than he intended for it to be. And he gave it to us. He gave that to humans for our pleasure. Animals go into heat and procreate for the purpose of propagating their species. But that's not the only way God designed this. The Song of Solomon, which is one of the books of the Bible, is all about this, directly and indirectly. The love between a man and a woman. There were no children talked about in that. No children talked about it. It was the intimacy between a man and a woman. And so it was an allegory of our relationship as the church with Christ. So when we take that, and we subvert that, and we, we, we contaminate that, we just... We make it very difficult as a Christian. If I, if I participate in this, uh, in this illicit activity that is contrary to the boundaries of God, I undermine my ability to fully participate with my spouse. Because I've just perverted it. And we're all human beings. And the comparison thing, even if it's only done in fantasy, not done in act, the d- danger is there. I, I'm fantasizing about uh, another person and comparing my spouse to them. That's okay. No, it's not okay. Because here's the problem. Then this becomes, the, the, the God-ordained and God-blessed intimacy becomes very unsatisfying. And what does that do? That opens up my whole being to my eyes become acutely aware of everything around me. Becomes aware. Everyone around me. And those images are automatically triggering this dissatisfaction and the memories of this fantasy fulfillment that never, the natural fulfillment never matched up to. How unfair is that? How wrong is that? It's unfair to your spouse. It's unfair to yourself. It's really unfair to God because that's not the way he designed it to be. That's not the, that's not the plan. 
And where does it all start? It all starts with the eyes. It all starts with the eyes. All of that downward-sucking vortex all starts with the eyes. Undisciplined eyes. That's exactly what gets it to that. The number of people in this world who, in this current world, in this present world, who has never, ever, ever experienced having a wrong thought about another human being at any point in their life, I personally don't believe that person exists. And if they say they have, I've got to believe they're lying. Everybody's experienced that at least one time in their life at some point. Maybe it was right after you entered into puberty. I don't know. But everybody experienced that. Everybody's experienced that. That doesn't make it okay because it's not okay at all. It just proves how much it is the focal point of the adversary as a weak point in our lives. It's a weak place. It's a place and weak places are places God can be strong. Because Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, when I am weak, I'm strong. And the greatest way to fall into sin is to try to handle it all myself and not acknowledge I'm weak. I need him. I need him. I need a Savior every day. I need a Savior every day. In every area of life, I need a Savior every day. And so do you. So Job, under the inspiration of God, made a covenant with his eyes to not look lustfully upon a, a woman, a girl. In Jesus' name, I pray that somehow you and I and every believer who wants to walk with God, wants to be used of God, wants to be a part of the kingdom of God, wants to be a part of the plans of God, the promises of God, wants to be a part of God's life, and him to be in our lives. That every one of us would have such a conviction that would come to us, such a desire from God to be free from this, to not be bound by it. I don't want to walk through life scared to death to see a woman. I want to be, I want, I want to be free. I want to have victory. And I've been around people, they, oh my, you hear them talk. They just can't believe anybody ever has a problem with that because they don't ever have a problem. They're lying through their teeth. They're lying. Period. They want to judge others based on what they want you to think of them. I beg of you, dear friend, that you not let anybody put that trip on you that they don't have a problem and they've never had a problem and it's no issue and uh, whatever. At some point in their life, if they're breathing and they got any kind of healthy hormones running through their body, they have had thoughts about someone that was not their mate that was inappropriate. And maybe they didn't have a mate yet, which is even more difficult because that's exactly the greatest difficulty for young people being raised in the church is when you hit puberty. And all of a sudden, you got all these feelings and thoughts just bombarding your mind. And what are you doing with this? What are you doing with this? What are you doing with this? And God has planned. He's got a way. 
he can help you. He can help you because there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit, Romans 8 and 1. God's got a plan. God's got a way. It is a process, not an event, to learn how to walk in that way. Be patient with you, but don't be so patient that you accept stuff in your life and make excuses for it. I got a problem. I need to deal with it. That's got to be your approach. Got to be my approach. Everybody's approach. This cannot be accepted and given in to. I have to have victory. I pray in Jesus' name for you and I to receive the mercy of God. I pray for us to receive the grace of God. That we would be covered by the righteousness of God. That we could walk pleasing to him. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.